Well, I want to minister for a few minutes this morning to a message I'm calling The Power of Yes and Amen. Next week, I will celebrate 22 years of being married to Jesus. Over these 22 years, I have had the privilege of witnessing the power and the presence of Holy Spirit manifest in me and through me, and I've watched the power of Holy Spirit and the presence of Holy Spirit manifest in you and through you. Listen to me carefully now. The power of the Holy Spirit does not manifest as a reward. He manifests as a result of the yes and amen to his word. You say, Pastor Mark, it can't be that simple. It is that simple. I want to paint a couple of pictures for you this morning to help you understand the power of this yes and amen, the power of the word. There's a guy named James. He's a writer of the New Testament. And in chapter 3, he takes us on a little journey. Let me paint this picture in your heart this morning. If you've ever watched any of those older shows, those older westerns or whatever, those old prairie shows, every once in a while you'll see a train, a locomotive, one of those steam engines, and it's got the black smoke billowing out of the top of it. And you hear that, it's got that classic sound, doesn't it? You know why it does that? Because every time it does that, it's releasing steam. That's the steam blowing out. And it's driving thousands and megatons of weight and passengers and cargo. And there's a guy inside that engine. He's called the fireman. You know what his job is to do? Shovel coal. Shovel coal. He'll take a little bit of a breather, but man, that massive engine just eats the coal alive. The firebox that he's shoveling into is not that big, really, to be honest with you. I've lived in the South. We used to burn coal when I was a kid. Coal burns hot. And with that fire, it releases a power. So when that locomotive has to get going, when that locomotive has to get in low gear to climb that grade, they just keep shoveling on the coal. James talks about a forest that is set on fire. Now, if you can imagine this little stove, this little furnace that's inside this steam engine train is generating that much power, imagine how much power if the whole forest is set on fire. I mean, if you could harness that power and use it, how much power that would be. And James takes us back to the beginning. He said, do you know something? He said, that forest fire started with one spark. And then he says, hey, Imagine you're on this horse and you're riding this horse and there's muscle and there's mane flying back in your hair. If you've ever ridden a horse, I want to tell you something. When they're going 35, maybe 40 top, it feels like you're going 80 or 90. It does. I've ridden some horses in my younger years. But imagine you're on this horse and you've got all this muscle. I mean, these horses can pull thousands of pounds. And you decide, hey, horsey, I want you to stop. Now, most of them don't listen to whoa and hey, horsey, but they respond to that little bit that's put in that horse's mouth. I want you to compare the size of that bit compared to that massive horse. But the Bible says that when you put a bit in a horse's mouth, he said that horse, that animal will obey you. 
And he talks about a large ship. Think about a ship 10 times the size of the Titanic. And James says, you know what? The captain of that ship can change the course, the direction of that ship. He said, with a little rudder that's on the bottom of that ship, totally out of sight. He said, that little rudder can change the course of that ship. So what James is doing is he's skillfully using all those metaphors to talk about the tongue. And he's saying, there's power. Friends, there's power in your tongue. Ah, if there's one thing I've learned over the years, there is power in your words. There's power in your tongue. You can construct something with your tongue, and you can destruct something with your tongue. So what am I saying when I say the power of yes and amen? In the humblest definitions I know, yes literally means surely. See, Mom, if you said, will you come to my house this afternoon for lunch? And if I said to you, well, I'll think about it, that is not yes. That is not a surely, is it? If I said, I got to talk with Valerie first, that is not a yes. That's not surely. But if I say yes, what have I said? I will surely be there. Yes means surely. And the word amen, literally in its simplest form, it has many definitions, but the word yes literally means I agree. So if we were to take yes, park it right there, and take that word amen and park it right next to it, you are looking at yes and amen, or you are simply looking at the words surely I agree. The evidence that a person is in agreement with God's word is revealed by their speech. Now, I've said that for many years. Uh, the evidence that you're in agreement with God's Word will show up in a number of different ways, your actions, your thoughts, whatever it may be. But I'll tell you, quicker than anything, it will surface in your words. Just listen to a person for a couple of minutes, and you will get the inside edition of what they have been meditating on. If they've been meditating on all their problems, you know what's going to show up? Fear and anxiety is going to show up in their words. If a person has been meditating upon a sin that they've committed, then guilt and shame and condemnation are going to surface in their speech. Friends, don't meditate on the pollution. Meditate on the solution. His name is Christ. What the enemy would want us to do is to meditate on all the junk, all the stuff. Listen, I'm not denying that things happen in our life, but why would we want to meditate? Why would we want to waste precious time thinking about all this stuff when we can think about Christ? He's the solution. He's the answer. On the positive side, if a person has been meditating on the goodness of God and on the promises of God, then yes and amen, or surely I agree, will be visible in their words and in their deeds. What I want you to see through the message today is this, that the power of the Holy Spirit is engaged through the yes and the amen, or the surely I agree, better spoken, let me say it this way, the power of Holy Spirit manifests through our words when we say the exact same words that Jesus said, or that God said, and we mean them with our whole heart. In Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, we find these truths. The Apostle Paul said, the word is near you. Watch what he says. He says, it is in your mouth and in your heart. Didn't I just tell you? It's not just here. It's in the heart. 
It's when those two work together, you have a synergy that creates power. He says, the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message, he says, concerning faith that we proclaim. What was the faith they were proclaiming? They were proclaiming you are saved by faith alone. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified or declared righteous. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I want to highlight the word declare in verse 9 and the word profess in verse 10 because these are two different English words, but behind each one of these English words is the same Greek word. It is the Greek word homologeo. Homologeo comes from two words, homo and logos. Homo means the same. And legeo comes from that Greek word logos, it means the Word or the Word of God. So when we bring homologeo together, it is literally saying to say the same thing that God says. So there's power in our words when we say what God says. Steve and I were talking this morning and how people will say dumb little things like, man, I'm so brain dead. I had a guy say that to me one time. I said, would you like that to be the case? He said, no, I wouldn't want to really be that way. He said, just a saying. I said, stop saying that, because I like you. Okay, and I don't want to come visit you in the hospital. Our words are powerful. He said, oh, man, they're just words. Listen, God framed everything by words, except for man himself. Man himself, he just got down, and he just made him out of clay and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So there are a lot of words that start with that prefix, homo. But that word homo always means the same, and then whatever follows is, is what it marries it to. For example, if we were to take the word homogenize, I think about that every single morning I step to my kitchen counter and I make a shake. The stevia goes in there, that's the sweetener. And then the cocoa goes in. And then the bananas go in. And then the cashew milk goes in. And then the ice cubes go in. Sound delicious? Oh, it's delicious. That's my breakfast every morning. And when I hit that switch, it begins to homogenize. It begins to take everything in there and kind of make it one. When I homogenize my shake, I can't tell where the sweetener starts and the cocoa ends. I can't tell where the banana starts and the cashew milk ends. They have been homogenized together. Those ingredients have been literally made one, and together they are delicious. So it is with Christ. We are made one with Him. Our Father cannot tell where Jesus starts and you end. or He can't tell where you start and Jesus ends. That's because we have been placed inside Jesus, who is the beginning and the end. Because we are one with Christ, wouldn't you agree that it would be beneficial for us to walk and talk like Him? Would you agree with that? We're one with Him. My wife can finish a lot of my thoughts and sentences long before I get there. And I'm getting better at finishing hers, but also getting better at learning not to finish hers as well. <laughs> Let me show you the definitions of homologeo. It literally means to say the same thing as another. It means to concede, not to refuse. These are some powerful definitions. It means to promise. 
It means not to deny. It means to confess, openly declare, to profess, speak out freely. I love this one. It means to profess oneself the worshiper of one. That is Hama Lageo. To praise and to celebrate. So the result of yes and amen or the surely I agree of Romans chapter 10 verses 8 to 10 is we are saved. I mean, that is the essence of Romans chapter 10 verses 8 to 10. It says we are saved. The word saved there is the Greek word sozo. It means to save, that is deliver or protect, to heal, to preserve, do well, make whole. Now think about that in your salvation package the next time you consider what God has done in your heart. He has done all of that and so much more. Behind that Greek word sozo are those definitions right there. Those are powerful, powerful virtues and truths. Notice that these virtues, though, become ours at point of salvation. Do you see that? God says, I'm depositing these virtues in you, this saved word sozo in you at point of salvation. These benefits were deposited into us as a result of, of the consummation of Jesus' yes and our amen. Salvation took place because I said and I believed in my heart the same thing that God said and the same thing that God believes in his heart. Therefore, power was released to save me. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The important thing always to remember here again is chapter 1 was written to the agnostic. It was written to the unbeliever. It was written to the atheist, if you will. It was not written to believers. So it's important to know this, but what I want you to see, though, is that word confess. If we confess our sins. In other words, he's saying, if you're an unbeliever and you confess your sins, I'm going to be faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And when he uses that word cleanse, it is the continual state. Doesn't mean my cleansing wears off. It's not like cologne. It's not like perfume. It's not like lipstick and then it wears down, wears off. This is a continual, oversupplied provision that God has given us he has continually cleansed us of our sin. All of our unrighteousness, he has taken away. So a lot of believers look at the scripture and they're like, ah, oh, there's the condition. God's going to keep forgiving me as long as I confess. Listen, confession is good only from the standpoint is it cleanses your conscience. It cleanses your heart. But Jesus paid for your sins once for all. He died once for all so that we could die all at once. We don't keep dying to Christ. We are dead once for all because he died once for all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you, watch this now, is not yes and no, for the Son of God Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. Let's go back to verse 18. Look at this now. It says, but as surely as God is faithful. There's that word surely, which means yes. Yes means surely. Surely means yes. If you were going to boil that opening line down to one sentence, it, it would say, yes, God is faithful. Surely God is faithful. 
And he says, our message to you, we came with a message. What do you suppose that message was? It was grace. Read Paul's letters. His message was about the goodness and the grace of God. He said, that's the message we came to you with. And he says, it was not yes and no. In other words, he was saying, it wasn't a list of do's and don'ts. Yes, you can do that. No, you can't do that. Yes, you better do that. No, you better not do that. He says it wasn't like that. There was no list of do's and don'ts. He said, for the Son of God, and he names him. He showcases him. This is who he is. He is Jesus, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. And he says, in him, it has always been yes. Oh, I love that. It's always been yes in Christ. Look at verse 20 now. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, I want to draw your attention to something here. Who is the yes in? It's in Christ, isn't it? It says it right there. It says they are yes in Christ. Who's the amen spoken by? us and so through him he gives you the power and the ability to speak it and the desire to speak it but he said you're the one who's going to have to say it remember if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart we shall be saved and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God when it comes to our inheritance and our promises we already have Jesus's yes important to know that we already have his yes where is it where is his yes it's attached to our amen and it releases power remember the amen comes through us the i agree comes through us the surely is through him the yes is through him but the i agree is through me and when those two come together it releases power i know what i'm talking about i've seen this I walk in this. Christ is the one that holds our promise together. Christ is the one that holds our promise together. Our promise is not held together by performance, okay? The promise that God has made to you is not somehow going to happen and held together by your performance. Our promise is held together by Christ. You say, Pastor Mark, you got a scripture on that? I'm glad you asked. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17. Christ is before all things, and in Him... How many things are held together? Oh, thank you, Jesus. That means all the promises too, right? It says, in him, all things are held together. Our yes is in Christ. So then what is our response? Our response is, amen. <laughs> I agree. Friends, do you want the promises of our Father's unmerited grace? Do you want the promises of his extravagant love? Do you want the promises of his outrageous generosity and his unconditional acceptance to manifest in your lives? Do you want that to happen? You're wasting your time if you don't because you're chasing after religion. If you're not looking for this in him, for these kind of things to show up in your life, his extravagant love, you're wasting your time. If you want all that, then meditate upon the scriptures. Listen to me very carefully. Meditate upon the scriptures, number one. Don't just read them. Meditate on them. Think about them. Roll them over in your mind. That's what meditate means. It means to ruminate. It means like a cow sitting down chewing his cud. A cow will sit there and chew his cud, and then he'll swallow it. And pretty soon you'll see that cow go, 
Like, like he never missed a beat. Back to chewing that cut again. Swallows again. You know what he's doing? He's extracting every ounce of nutrition out of whatever he's just eating. He's getting every ounce of nutrition. And when you meditate, it means to ruminate. It's like what a cow does when he chews his cud. He's extracting. Don't try to conquer the Bible. Just conquer Scripture. Let that one Scripture minister to you over and over and ruminate on it and think about it. That's what meditation means. So number one, meditate on the Scriptures. Also, rightly divide the Old Covenant from the New Covenant so that you know what belongs to you and what doesn't belong to you, okay? Don't homogenize the yeses and nos and the do's and the don'ts of the Old Covenant with the yes and amen of the New Covenant in order to get your identity. Simply allow the confession of your amen to marry with the yes of His promises. It's not the yes and no that releases power. It's the power of yes and amen coming together. You see, here's the culprit. It is easy to homogenize our feelings and our emotions and even our logic and our reasoning with daddy's truth. It's easy to get them all mixed together. I'm not saying we're not emotional beings. I'm not saying we don't use our emotions for the Lord. We do. But sometimes your feelings and your emotions will lie to you. Sometimes your logic gets off. Sometimes it's just flat out wrong. That which a person has been meditating on will quite often rise above daddy's still, small voice and cause confusion. When we get meditating on problems and issues of life, sometimes those things, because we're spending so much time thinking about those things that we miss the voice of the Lord. A couple months ago, we left here one Sunday and after church, we went to have lunch at Olive Garden. When we got in there, it was very busy that Sunday. We, it was my wife and I, and it was Sarah, our daughter, and Jason, and three kids. They said, well, it's going to be about a half an hour wait. We said, okay, we'll wait. Didn't have any place to sit down. All the seats were taken. There were 20, 30 people in front of us. So I thought this would be a good time to teach Mila, the seven-year-old, a song, standing there in the foyer. I just do these kind of things, you know. I said, Mila, would you like to learn Amazing Grace? I'm going to teach you Amazing Grace, Mila. I said, now you follow me, okay? Okay. Amazing Grace. She said, Amazing Grace. I said, how sweet the sound. She said, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. She said, that saved a wretch like me. I said, I once was lost. And she said, our lunch was lost. I said, no, 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 lunch is not lost. It's just been deferred, Mila. But do you see what I'm talking about? You know, Mila's thinking about lunch. She's got lunch on her mind. I said, I once was lost. She heard, our lunch is lost. Sometimes we don't hear things the way we should. Friends, if what you are hearing about your relationship with Jesus is not good, if it does not encourage you, if it does not build you up, then it is not the gospel. We so underestimate the power of words. They are not just words. There's power when you have heart behind it and you have a belief system behind it. Our words can be used as building blocks to build others up or they can be used as wrecking balls to tear others down. That same power.
can be directed, it can be channeled in positive, good ways. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, we find these words. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Verse 11 starts with that word, therefore. Therefore is an adverb. It translates as, for that reason. So if you just started with verse 11, you hid verse 10, you'd have no idea what they were talking about. Because it's saying for that reason, so you have to go, what reason? Well, the reason is in verse 10. Adverbs answer questions like how, and when, and where, and why, and how often, and how much, or to what extent. So when the words say, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing, he's saying, listen, I want to take you back to verse 10. And this is so healthy for us to do once in a while, to put ourselves in remembrance of what the truth is in verse 10. He died for us. Oh, yes, he's alive. Yes, he rose from the grave. But he died for us. The Bible says, so that whether we are awake, that means we are living, or that we are asleep, that means dead, we may live together with him. Every time we encourage one another and build each other up, we are declaring not only did Jesus die, but we live together in him and with him. To that I say yes, and amen, surely I agree. And when I say that, power manifests because I have said the same thing that God has said. And I believe it with my entire heart, my whole heart, and it releases the virtues of Christ. Now, there's so many virtues of Christ, they're unlimited. You couldn't name them all, it'd be impossible. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17 starts to hit on some of the highlights. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, clothe yourselves with, first of all, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know what it says there when it says, clothe yourselves with compassion. You know, I want to tell you something. I would see myself clothing myself, first of all, with the yes and amen. See, when I know I'm clothed with the yes and amen, I can clothe myself with compassion. In fact, that is going to be the result of clothing yourself with yes and amen. Clothing yourself with the surely I agree. God, your word said it. I'm not backing down off of it. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be compassionate. But I have the yes and I have the amen working inside of me. He continues his thought. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What do you say to that? Yes and amen. Surely I agree. I will tell you something. If we would just take that one part of the scripture and meditate on that for a week, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And don't let anything disturb that peace. Because there are going to be things that are going to come and try to disturb that peace. And you say, nope. I already have my yes, I already have my amen, my daddy is faithful. This is going to pass. This is going to come and go. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Thankfulness is a choice. Don't wait till you feel thankful. Be thankful. I'm thankful for the farmers. I told you that last week. Every time they go to Haiti over there, oh God, I'm thankful for the farmers. I don't feel what they feel over there. I don't feel the 114 degrees with high humidity. I don't feel what it's like to not have electricity most of the day. Or, you know, the compromises and all the things that go on. I can't feel that, but I can help support them and I can help support their cause because I know they feel it. And that compassion, when you care about people, stuff like that, it begins to change how you pray for them. It begins to change how you communicate about them. Let's be thankful. When you catch yourself being unthankful, go, listen, that is not who I am. That is not me. I'm a thankful person. God has made me thankful. Let the message of Christ, what is the message of Christ? It's grace. It's daddy's love. It's the truth that you can call him Abba. You can call him Papa. Jesus came so we could call his daddy Papa and Abba, not just, oh God. I have a problem with saying God. God is cool. That's okay. He's daddy to me. He's my Papa. He's close to me. He's not distant from me. He's very up close to me. And I can call him Papa. The message of Christ says, you can call my daddy Papa. You can call my daddy Father, just like I do. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Now, I don't sing very well, but I sing a lot. I sing a lot, and when I sing, I sing with gratitude. I'm singing out of the gratitude and the thankfulness of remembering that Jesus died for us. Jesus died for me, and he rose again, and I live in him. Amen. And then he finishes his thought up by saying, and whatever, watch what he says now, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed. See, we've been talking about the power of word. Whether you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, declaring Jesus' yes and our amen to God the Father through him. I learned in my very early Christian walk that my opinion meant nothing and his word meant everything. In fact, I actually do not use the word opinion. It's just not in my vocabulary to use it. Someone says, uh, what's your opinion about this? I say, I don't have one. I can tell you what I believe based on what I see in the word. Everything is shaped by the word. I shape it based upon what I've seen in scripture. So I don't have an opinion. Opinion is in the same basket as luck. I don't have one. I don't have any of that either. So I learned that my opinion meant nothing and God's word meant everything. So when a believer says the same thing that God's word says, then that believer is saying, yes and amen, surely I agree. When our words and our hearts come into synchronization, they come into alignment, they come into agreement with God's word and God's heart, then the result is Power will manifest in that area. Miracles will begin to take place. Transformation begins to take place. When we agree with God's word and then we speak God's word, power is released in that circumstance and in that situation. 
agreeing with God, like I said, is saying the same thing God has already said. Not similar, the same. Not sort of, the same. Not kind of, the same. Not close, the same. Not partially, but in whole. So does it stand to reason with you guys? Think about this for a second. That if I'm going to say the same thing that God says, then I need to know what he has already said. Does that make sense? I mean, how can I say what he says if I don't know what he said? So it stands to reason that if I'm going to say what God says, then I need to know what he said. And here's what I felt the Holy Spirit say. Not just the letters, but the context and the heart and the spirit of the word. You see, to me, it's more than name it and claim it and take it home and frame it, okay? I mean, that's the old saying that people used to use in the church years ago. Name it and claim it, brother. Take it home and frame it. Blab it and grab it and take it with you. That's a bunch of religious jargon. But there is a truth in that. And the truth is, what they're saying is, when you come into agreement with God's Word, but what they're saying is, just as long as you say the Word, that's enough. No, you have to believe in your heart, too. He said you have to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart for transformation to take place. Did he not say that? Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You see, I can memorize Scripture and not even know what I'm saying. Did you know that? You can memorize Scripture and they're just a bunch of words. I think I told you the story of a friend of mine that lived down in North Carolina. Her and her family had a, um, a bird, a talking bird. And they had cats around the house too. But every once in a while, you'd hear that bird go, here, kitty, 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 kitty. I'm serious. I'm like, your bird just said, here, kitty, kitty. No, your bird can't honestly mean that. You see, what that bird did is that bird heard them saying it to their cats, so it took on that and had no idea what it was saying. I can learn to pronounce a word in another language and have no idea of what I just said. Let me give you an example of that. If I were to say in Spanish these words, nada a todos malo conmigo, you have no clue what I just said, do you? Even though I pronounced it perfectly in Spanish. Now, if someone was sitting here that spoke Spanish, they would know exactly what I said, but they would just be words. They would have no context for those words, so they would just be words. They wouldn't understand, well, what are you getting at? You see, nada a todos malo conmigo in Spanish means nothing at all wrong with me. So if you said that to a Spanish person, nothing at all wrong with me, they'd be like, okay, I understood what you said, but I don't get the context. You see, if you'd have been here last week, and I know you were, you know exactly what I'm talking about because Valerie stood right in this spot and she preached a message called nothing at all wrong with me. Information married with a revelation equals transformation. If you just have information, you're going to get puffed up. That's just knowledge. But when you get a revelation married to information, in other words, if you get the yes and you marry it with the amen, you get the surely and you marry it with the I agree, now you have transformation that can take place. I've been talking about the power of yes and amen in the New Testament. There are several Greek words for power. There's two of them that are used more than the others. One is pronounced dunamis. We call it dunamis. Dunamis. 
That is one that literally Jesus told the, the apostles that he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to tarry in the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit for you will be endued with power. That is dunamis. That is the wonder working miracle power of God. And it's a wonderful power to get. You get, him, you get that when you get the Holy Spirit. And when your words come into alignment with God's, when you take your amen and you marry it to His yes, when you take your I agree and marry it to His surely, you're going to see power manifest in your life. But the one I really like is the one that's found in John chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as received Him, that's us. As received Him, that's Christ. To them, that's us. Gave he, that's him, that's Christ. Power to become the sons of God, that's us. Even to them, that's us that believe on his name, that's him. I was a little confusing there, wasn't it? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even unto them which believe on his name. That word power right there in the Greek is the Greek word exousia. It's a different word for power. And it literally means the ability and the privilege. And I want you to make note that it attaches the ability and the privilege to your sonship. So they're not walking around going, well, you know, I just don't flow in the gifts. I just don't operate like everybody else. You have the same ability and you have the same power. It's just that your confession, your agreement has to come into alignment with his surely or his yes. You and I have been given power, this ability and a privilege to attach our amen to his yes because of the rights of sonship that same power gives us the ability and the privilege to walk away from the mechanical do's and don'ts of the old covenant we are not homogenized with the old covenant we have been grafted into the true vine and his name is jesus amen this ability and this authority this privilege that he gave us he gave it to us so that we could release this grace that we keep hearing about Instead of holding on to this grace, instead of not making a difference with this grace, he's given us ability and privilege. So, what are you in the habit of agreeing with? What do you say yes and amen, surely I agree with? Is it your emotions? Like I said, they lie to you. GPS will lie to you, are you kidding me? There are times, literally, it will tell you to turn into the lake. You ever had to do that to you? I mean, literally, it's a right turn. And uh, all you got is a lake. Emotions, feelings, logic, reasoning, all that stuff, circumstances, all that stuff will lie to you. The only thing that does not change and the only thing that does not lie to us is the Word of God. So then if we agree with the Word of God, then let's not let our words unravel and negate our revelation of the finished work. See, we talk about the finished work all the time, but there's an enemy out there that's always trying to unravel everything you learn. He's trying to negate somehow what you've learned. He's trying to add something to what you've learned. It's a finished work. Jesus did it all. We need to do nothing for our identity and for our sonship in Christ. Our amen attached to Jesus's yes finishes the work in us. It is finished at that point. Jesus said yes. I said amen. It is a finished work for you. In that finished work, we inherit eternal life, we inherit healing, we inherit prosperity, we inherit blessing, we inherit acceptance, 
we inherit deliverance. We inherit rest. We inherit fullness of grace. We inherit the Father's love. We inherit righteousness and sanctification and redemption and reconciliation and holiness and peace. All of that and so much more is in that finished work. And we inherit that only by saying, Amen. Jesus, you died to give me all this. And I say, Amen. I say, I agree. I agree. That is a benefit package, friends. I want to get in the habit of saying yes and amen to. Surely I agree. The common denominator between the words yes and amen. You say, what is the common denominator? When I look that word yes up in the Greek, it literally means truth. One of the definitions, the one that stands out, is truth. And when I look that word in the Hebrew up for amen, it literally means truth. Is it any wonder that Jesus stood and declared in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. He was saying, listen, I am the way, and I am your yes, and I am your amen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You see, friends, a man cannot have power just by saying, surely I agree with just anything, one must agree with truth. You have power just agreeing with anything. You got to agree with truth. There's no shortages of promises in the Bible. From cover to cover, God speaks about promises over us, and He is faithful, faithful, faithful to fulfill those promises. Under the Old Covenant, our part required yeses and noes. Under the New Covenant, our promises are yes and amen in Christ. My closing scriptures are meant to challenge us to walk and talk differently. Now listen to me carefully. That's what I said. My closing scriptures are designed, I believe, by the Holy Spirit to challenge us to walk, to think about our walk, to think about our talk. In 2 Samuel, it's about King David. And in my Bible, the header above that chapter says David's victories. And it goes on in that chapter to talk about who David defeated. He defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Arameans, and Edomites, and many other kings, all in that one chapter, chapter 8. And this is a time when David, the Bible says, became famous for winning battles. The Bible actually says that he became famous for winning battles. Surely all that fame, surely all that power must have been satisfying all in itself. It wasn't. You see, David couldn't sleep one night, and in the quietness of his palace, he got up and he began to walk the halls. You see, the firemen shoveled more coal in him, and David began to burn with compassion to show kindness to someone that may not even deserve grace. And in chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, we find these words. David asked, Is there anyone still left? of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness. That word kindness is chesed. It means the grace of God. So is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I can show grace for Jonathan's sake? Not as a reward, but as a result of my covenant with Jonathan. That's why he did that. He wasn't looking to say, has anybody did anything good out there? I want to give them a reward. I want to recognize them. 
No, he was put in remembrance of the covenant he had with Jonathan and how binding the covenants were. And it was his idea to challenge people to say, is there anybody left out there? I just feel like blessing somebody. See your heavenly father saying that over you. These are meant for our edifications here. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Now there's that word again, grace. See, he can't get grace off of his mind. Isn't there somebody left from Saul's household that I can show kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet like that's not going to meet the king's criteria. Did you hear David say, I want somebody tall, dark, and handsome? He already had that with Saul, and Saul blew it. He's not looking for a certain criteria. And the fact that Ziba added those words, he is lame in both feet. I had to meditate on that when I saw those yesterday. That's not what the king asked. The king just asked, is there anybody that's still alive? And so Ziba said, yeah, there's a dude that's alive, but he's lame in both feet. Ziba is trying to influence King David. Now, King David is a type of Christ. He's trying to influence King David to disqualify Mephibosheth based upon the fact that his walk wasn't perfect. David said, where is he? Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth! See that exclamation point? Why is David so excited? Because David realizes I'm a king and I have the ability to show kindness. I have the ability to lavish grace on you. And whether it excites you yet or not, it excites me. It excites me. I know what's coming. He says, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. And I love what David does. He says, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness. There's that word again, grace. David can't get that off of his heart. He said, I'm going to surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. He says, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Friends, calling ourselves a dead dog is not in agreement with what God calls us or anything like that. You say, well, I've never called myself a dead dog, but maybe you've called yourself dumb. God never calls you that. There is no yes and amen in calling ourselves names that don't fit us. He calls us righteousness. He calls us redeemed. He calls us his beloved. He calls us sons. If we truly want to witness power from the Holy Spirit manifesting, then we have to say exactly what our daddy says. Then the king summoned Ziba 
Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. He says, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, watch what he says now, will always eat at my table. You see, if we go back to Romans 10, 9, he put that in the continual sense that your sins are forgiven. You've been cleansed. He says you are forever forgiven. You are continually cleansed. And he's telling Mephibosheth, you are continually accepted with me. You can continually eat at my table. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one, watch this now, of the king's son. Friends, let me tell you something. One of the greatest impartations that King David gave Mephibosheth that day was nada a todos malo conigo. There is nothing wrong with you, Mephibosheth. The world may tell you you are crippled. You can't walk right. And by your own speech, you don't always talk right. But I've come by today to tell you there is nothing wrong with you. Or I wouldn't let you sit at my table, Mephibosheth. Today, you have become one of the king's sons. You're just like a son to me. You have every right as my own natural sons, Mephibosheth. Your sonship gives you the ability and it gives you the privilege to eat at my table the rest of your life. Your walk and talk may not be perfect in the eyes of the Zybas of this world or even in your own eyes, but your walk and your talk will never, will never disqualify you from my kindness, my grace, my said blessing. Friends, the wonderful truth that reaches out to us from the scriptures is simply this. The power of the Holy Spirit does not manifest as a reward he manifests as a result of marrying our amen with his yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Daddy, I just want to thank you for your grace today. I want to just thank you for your love. I want to thank you, Father, that you have taught us how important our words are. You've taught us that we need to meditate upon the scriptures. And Father, that we can lose that Mephibosheth mentality. We are not dead dogs. Father, we are sons of the Most High. We have an inheritance that can never fade, never spoil. Daddy, I want to thank you today as I'm put in remembrance that Jesus died for me and he rose again. And because I've accepted him, I've taken my amen and attached it to his yes and power flows from my life. That means everywhere I go, Every place these feet trod, I can expect good things. I can expect miracles to happen. I can expect that because I'm accepted in the beloved. And I can expect it because you have given us the divine ability and privilege with your word. Father, we thank you for this wonderful grace. We see it through an Old Testament narrative. Under the old covenant, how much better it is under the new covenant of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.